If you've got a Bible, open to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be in verses 7 to 11 this morning, uh, taking a look at what Peter has to say to us about what it means to live as a people who are part of a sojourning community, a part of a church, as seeking to love Jesus, living as citizens of his kingdom in this earthly kingdom. And in this particular text, Peter begins to drive at just kind of like a staccato of, of issues, right? He just kind of, he's like, boom, 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 boom. We're only going to take a look at one of those this morning, though, because it's all we have time for together today. But as we read the text, we'll be in chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and we'll read down through verse 11 together. Peter writes these words. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. At Redeemer, one of the things that we envision is a church that is filled with people who are living under the authority of Jesus in every facet, aspect, area, nook, and cranny of their lives. In other words, we envision a very thoroughgoing holiness existing among God's people here. We looked at that several weeks back, right? <laughs> Several months back in 1 Peter chapter 1, as we took a look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 where Peter calls us to be holy as God is holy. And at that juncture of our series through 1 Peter, we said that holiness is not being able to measure up more accurately to the set of standards or rules or restrictions, the do's and don'ts, than everyone else around us. But what holiness actually is, is that we push all our chips to the center of the table and we say, Jesus, I am all in on you and I'm all yours wherever you would send me I would go whatever you would say to me I would do whatever you would ask of me I would yield and I would surrender right I would lift my arms to the sky and say Jesus I'm all yours and everything that I have all my hopes and dreams and desires they're bet on you they're bet on you if you don't come through then I have nothing that's what holiness is offering everything that we have up to God, saying we're all in and all His. Now when most of us think about holiness though, there are those inside the church and outside the church who have a hard time holding together this idea of holiness that God calls us to be and the word that we find in our text this morning that we're going to dig into, we have a hard time holding together these, these, these truths of holiness and hospitality. For us, they're kind of like oil and water to some degree. <laughs> they don't seem to mix very well. Right? You get the oils floating on top of the surface. It doesn't sink down beneath because the viscosity of those two, are, they just cause them to separate. And many times when people, both inside the church and outside the church, when they think of someone who is holy, they don't necessarily think of someone who is hospitable. Because many times in, individuals have a kind of a caricature of Christianity in their minds that holiness and people who are holy are people who are a little bit stiff-necked, right? Very kind of straight-laced a little bit, kind of unpleasant to be around at times. 
not very laid back or easygoing. Whereas people who are hospitable are on the opposite side. They're very pleasant to be around. They're kind of, instead of like suits and ties, they're like jeans and t-shirts kind of folks, right? They kind of receive you into their life. They welcome you. They don't have a whole lot of hoops for you to jump through. Right? And so we have a hard time holding these two things together, holiness and hospitality. But what I hope that we see this morning is what Peter's trying to show us is that those two things are not separated from each other, but one grows out of the other. That someone who pushes all their chips to the center of the table and said, Jesus, I am all in and I am all yours because you've received me through the work and person of Jesus Christ cannot help but looking at people around them and saying, come, come, come. I don't have ropes for you to jump through. I don't have boxes for you to check because God has done everything that I need so I'm going to offer my life to you. See, hospitality grows out of a thorough holiness of life. And so what I want us to see this morning is that, that we're going to look at this one verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. And take a look at what hospitality is. Some barriers that keep us from it. What's at stake with it. And how do we go about practicing it. All right? So we want to be a hospitable, welcoming kind of people who has a thorough holiness about their life. We want to be a people who takes every thought captive to Jesus, including the thoughts that we have about the people who are sitting around us and the people in our community who might walk through these doors. So what is hospitality, all right? What is hospitality? Hospitality is this. What we're called to in this text, Peter says, is to show a consistent and uncoerced hospitality. A consistent and uncoerced hospitality. And hospitality for many of us, when we think of the word hospitality, hospitality is a disposition that we have toward other people, both inside the church and outside the church, right? It's, it's, it's what we're called to have, a, a disposition of hospitality. But what is that? Many of us in our modern framework, when we think of the word hospitality, oftentimes we think of individuals who are great party planners, Right? <laughs> So they can throw great baby showers and they can throw great wedding showers and they can throw great dinner parties and they have like all the little trinkets on the table and they have all the centerpieces that are set just in the right place and they have right the, 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 the welcome mat rolled out at the front door and they have all the you know, potpourri going in the house and the smells are just right and the sights are just right and they have like soft music playing in the background. They can throw great parties and great great showers that's typically what we think of when we think of being hospitable in our culture in our modern mindset we think of someone who might shake someone's hand and give them five minutes of their time or they might be a great party planner but biblically in the ancient world when you thought of the word hospitality the word hospitality did involve opening your home and receiving people into it it did involve sharing table fellowship with other people who might have come into your house but whenever you shared table fellowship with someone in the ancient world in the modern world we can have somebody over for dinner and then never talk to him again <laughs> and not see him again for three months or six months and never really follow up with them or, or receive them into our life but in the ancient world whenever you shared a meal with someone whenever you shared table fellowship with someone you weren't just opening your table or your home to them you were opening your life to them you were receiving them into your spheres and into your circles you were welcoming them into your life not just for a one-off party that you might throw for a bunch of people who are getting together to exchange blue and pink bibs <laughs> 
(laughs) Hospitality in the ancient world was not just opening your home to others, but it was opening your life to others. It became one of the, one of the high virtues that were high up on, highly regarded in Christian circles in the ancient world, in the early church. Because in the early church, you didn't have holiday inns and budget motels and, and right, Motel 6 who always left the light on for you. Right? In the ancient world, whenever you had traveling missionaries and an evangelist who moved through the churches, different places along the Mediterranean region, many times they were, they were housed in the homes of those Christians who were part of those churches in those cities. So you didn't know this guy, you had never met this guy, and you were opening your house to them, maybe for several days, to extend an invitation to them as they moved from one place to the next, preaching the gospel and planting churches. So you weren't just opening a home, you were opening your life, receiving them in, caring for their needs. In fact, some of the churches in the ancient world, as they grew and got larger, they turned some of their facilities where they met into hospices and hospitals to care for the sick as well. See, real, authentic, biblical hospitality means that you open your circles, you open your spheres, you open your relational connections, you open your life and welcome others into it. So you can throw a great shower and open people, welcome people into your home, but they may in your home still be on the outside looking in because you haven't really received them into your life. You haven't really received them into your life. Now while this opening of life, we might say is to be extended to all people in this particular text, I want you to notice what he says. He says, show hospitality to who? To one another, one another. And I think what Peter is talking about here, he's saying in the church, in the church, when you look across the aisle and you see someone sitting over there that you don't normally sit next to, you don't normally eat lunch with, that you open your life up to them, that you show hospitality to them. And listen, one of the things that saddens me as a pastor, as a shepherd that God has entrusted with oversight of a, of, of, of a flock here, One of the things that saddens me as a pastor is when there are individuals within local bodies for whom the gospel does not seem to be enough for them. In other words, the gospel is not, is is, the glue of the gospel isn't strong enough to bind them together with the people who are sitting across the aisle from them. That the glue of the gospel isn't strong enough to cause them to step out and welcome their brothers and sisters who have been blood-bought by Jesus Christ into their lives. It saddens me to see people whom Jesus has invited to dine with him, who for some of us as Christians, they would never be extended an invitation to a dinner party at our home because they're different than we are. It saddens me whenever some would open their hearts and they would open their homes to individuals who come from different cultures or maybe different continents or even different countries but they would not open their hearts and their homes to people who are blood-bought sons and daughters of Jesus Christ who live in their own community. Because they would look across the aisle and they would go, those people, right, they're older than I am or they're younger than I am. And the gospel is not strong enough to bind me together with them. Or they would look across the aisle and they would say, those folks live in Fate and those folks live in Rockwall and those folks live in Forney or those folks live in Royce City or those folks live in Poetry or those folks live in Quinlan and the gospel is not a strong enough glue to bind me together with them. Listen, I've been, I've been beating this drum since the time that I got to Redeemer and will continue to beat this drum 
That the gospel is the glue that holds the church together, not your taste in music, right? There's some who look across the aisle and go, those dudes listen to hip-hop and those dudes listen to country. And not even like current country, like classic country. The gospel's not strong enough to bind me to them. Or those folks live in a, a, a subdivision with HOAs and those folks live on acreage out in the country. The gospel is strong enough And it saddens me whenever it's not strong enough to bind those together who have homeschooled kids, those who have private school kids, and those whose kids go to public school. They feel like they've got to segregate themselves into these little pots and pockets and pods of people because of where their kids go to school. Or the gospel is not strong enough to bind me together with those who have a passion for adoption and those who have a passion for ending abortion. Or the gospel is not strong enough to bind them together with those who would vote Democrat, those who would vote Republican, those who would vote third party this election cycle, and those who may withhold their vote this election cycle. The gospel is not strong enough to bind me together with those who disagree over secondary theological issues. It's not strong enough to bind me together with those who prefer Choloso to Cole Mountain, or Costco to Sam's. Or who drive Fords, Chevys, Dodges, and maybe even a Toyota guy sprinkled in there somewhere. It's not strong enough to bind me together with those who wear skinny jeans and wingtips when I wear Wranglers and Ropers. That the gospel is not strong enough for some people to cause Aggies and Longhorns and Bears and Horn Frogs to sit down at a table together and fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ. That the gospel's not strong enough for some who are crossfitters to bind them together with couch sitters. <laughs> it saddens me as a pastor when I see people segregating themselves from others because they don't share interest. See, hospitality, Peter, Peter says, show hospitality to one another no matter what little niche or subculture or interest that you might have. The gospel's strong enough if you'll let it to bind all these people together under one roof. He says, show hospitality to one another. And I'm saying consistent hospitality here, opening your life consistently to others, because the word used here is actually an adjective. You know what an adjective is grammatically? There's those of you little grammar geeks in the room, right? It's a word that describes a particular quality of something. He's not describing a one-time action. He's saying this should be a consistent character in your life, that you would open yourself up, that you would receive others in, that you would welcome people that walk through the doors of this room, that walk through the doors of your life, that you would receive them to you consistently, habitually, continually, that you would continue to receive person after person after person. It would be a consistent part of your character. This means that you don't just open your home at Mother's Day or Memorial Day or for a Thanksgiving meal, that you're continually opening your home and making your living room a launching pad for ministry and for mission and for people to be received and welcomed. He says, he says essentially, this is to be a consistent character. It's not just a one-time act. And then also notice what he says. It's to be, un, I'm saying it's uncoerced as well. It's uncoerced. Nobody's twisting your arm to do it. He says, show hospitality to one another 
How? Without grumbling, without murmuring, without complaining. That nobody's coming behind you and constantly with a cattle prod like poking you. Going, man, open yourself up. Open yourself up. Open yourself up. Nobody's got a taser. Nobody's got your arm behind your back until you say uncle and go talk to the person who's across the room or just walk through the door. That it's not, it's without grumbling, it's without murmuring. That means it's eager, that it's willing. And listen, some of us in the room may be murmuring, we may be grumbling, and it may be outward, it may be public, and it may be inward, it may be private. Some of us may be murmuring or grumbling. Uh, It may be criticism of other people who are in this room or other people who are part of this church. I can't, I don't want to get to know them because they're X, Y, and Z. I want to open up my life to them because did you, did you see what they posted on Facebook? So it may be a criticism or critique of individuals. It may just be a closed life avoidance of people. It might be public or critique. It might be private gossip where we gather in little circles of all the people who are just like us and we exclude all the people who aren't like us and then talk about all the people who aren't like us. You know what that is? That's murmuring. It's an expression of grumbling. And Peter says it should be uncoerced. Nobody's twisting your arm. So you're opening your life and welcoming others into your sphere and your circle of relationships consistently, habitually, continually in a way that nobody is lording that on top of you. But there's something that's coming from within you to say, I'm going to move towards people. I'm going to move toward that new family that just walked through the door. I'm going to move toward those folks who are in a different life group than I am. I'm going to move toward those whose kids go to different schools than I do. I'm going to move towards those who have different rhythms and routines in life than I I do. I'm going to move towards them and welcome them in. That's what Peter's talking about. But there are several barriers to that kind of hospitality. I want to run down a few of them for you this morning. Some of you may be, may be sitting in, a, in the seat this morning and, and some of these may just, God may just use them to pierce your conscience. I know he has mine. The first one is this. Some of you may be just working with some unreasonable assumptions and unbiblical assumptions about extending hospitality. Some of you just may assume that it's somebody else's job. Okay, some of you are like looking at like all the list of teams that we have here at Redeemer and go, oh, the hospitality team, that's their job. That's their job, right? It's their job to stand up there in the foyer and shake hands. It's their job to stand at the doors of the worship center and receive people in. It's their job to float around in the auditorium and connect with new people. It's somebody else's job. Some of us are trying to delegate something God has commanded of us in the scriptures to other people. Because not only here in 1 Peter chapter 4, but you also find it in Hebrews chapter 13. You also find it in Romans chapter 12. We're commanded to show hospitality. We're commanded in Romans 12 to seek to show hospitality. In other words, you're looking. There's a radar that goes up in your your life and you're looking for people to connect with, looking for people to receive in, looking for people to welcome into your sphere. And in Hebrews 13, we're told not to neglect it. In other words, don't pull back away from it. And some of us are doing that because we assume it's somebody else's job. Another barrier to showing this kind of hospitality might be past or present pain that we've experienced at the hands of either spiritual leaders or those who would call themselves Christians. 
and past or present pain. I want you to think about the need for this text to Peter's audience. With what we've told you so far about Peter and the audience he's writing to, think about the need for this text. Peter is writing to an audience of individuals, of Christians who are in churches where the environment in which they're living is about to become highly pressurized and very painful. And in a highly pressurized and very painful environment, what is the natural default of the human heart? Whenever you experience pain, the natural default of the human heart is to pull away, isn't it? It's to pull away many times from everyone. Whenever you get hurt, the natural default of the human heart is to hide and not engage with people. Kind of like a turtle that senses a threat coming from somewhere around us and just pulls all of its legs into the shell and tucks its head in, collapses itself down, and just rides out the storm. And some of us, because of past or present pain right now in our lives, maybe some of us have been hurt by spiritual leaders before and abuses of authority in our lives. And so we've withdrawn and we don't want to open ourselves up. We've been hurt in churches before, so we don't want to welcome other people into our life because we're not sure exactly what their intentions are and how they're going to relate to us and whether or not it's going to just compound the pain that we've experienced already or help bring healing So some of us, because of past or present pain, we're pulling away and hiding. Is that a barrier for you? To showing this kind of uncoerced, consistent opening of your life to other people. Some of us, it might be that we have what I would call relational padlocks on our lives. Some of us don't show hospitality to others. We don't welcome them into our lives because we feel like we've already kind of found our folks. We've got our people. I don't need anybody else in my life. Right? I, got my, I got my people that I like eating dinner with. I got my people that I like to go see movies with. I got my people that I like to um, you know, go, go out to dinner with. I got my people I like to go on vacations with. I got my pe- I've got my people. I don't need anyone else. And so what we, we end up doing is we end up putting padlocks on our life and not allowing anyone else access because we don't open the gate up to anyone other than, quote unquote, our people. Our people. Now listen, let me go ahead and say this. It's one thing to prefer the company of some. There is not a person on the face of the earth who does not prefer the company of some friends. The people who they feel like get them the best. The people who are spurring them on. The people who are one-anothering them perhaps as the scriptures call us to. It is natural and normal and right to prefer the company of some. It is something altogether different It is something altogether different to padlock others out of your life and in so doing sin against God and against them. Now, I want you to feel the weight of that this morning a little bit. Because for those of us who feel like we have, quote unquote, our people, you may prefer the company of these people that you take trips with and that you hang out with and that you spend time with and that you share interests and hobbies in common with. You may prefer their company, but if you prefer their company to the extent that you have locked other people out of your life and don't want anyone else to come through the gate and you're not moving towards other people, Listen, it is not a sin to prefer the company of some. It is a sin to lock others out. 
We are commanded in multiple places in the scriptures, show hospitality, welcome people in, receive them well, open your spheres, open your circle, care for them, move towards them. And whenever we lock everyone else out other than our people, we have sinned against God. It's a a sin of omission, something God has commanded us to do and we do not do. And we have sinned against others by creating these padlocks on our life. Another barrier might be what I would call social engineering. <laughs> social engineering. Now you, you, most of us think, well, that just happens like in high school, right? Where all the cool kids and all the cute kids and all the athletic kids and all the, you know, whatever other kind of kids just like to hang out together in their little pockets and their little circles. But unfortunately, unfortunately, some of us never really mature out of that. Never really grow beyond that. And one of the ways that I see this playing out in the lives of people, in in, in the lives of people, is through their desperate attempt to acquire and keep what I would call social capital. Social capital. Here's what social capital is. Social capital is how people see you based on who they see you with. How people see you based on who they see you with. And so I don't know if you've got friends or family like this, but like, like every Facebook post or every Instagram post or every tweet that they send out, like, man, I was hanging out with this dude, played for the Rangers back in 1987, and here's a picture of he and I were sitting down having a burger, right? Or here's, you know, here's this politician that's running for office or just you know, ran for office, and he and I have been sitting down, we you know, shared some quesadillas. Right? And here's this picture of this, this you know, all these people that, like uh, people like name recognition, name dropping, I've got family like that. I've got friends like that. Where every picture is of them and somebody who would make you think higher of them. They're trying to engineer social capital for themselves. How people will see them based on who they see them with. And so what that does is it creates an inhospitality of our souls and our hearts because we can't be seen with people who would not, well, let me say it this way, We're only seen with people who would credit our social capital, but we would never be seen with people who would debit our social capital. And so there's this social engineering that takes place in our lives because we're so desperate at times for other people's opinions of us to be high, that we want to be considered a part of that crowd. And listen, as I said before, it doesn't die at graduation. It doesn't. Are you trying to social engineer your image? And in so doing, locking other people out of your life. Let me give you a final barrier. Some of us, the fi- this perhaps the most significant of all the barriers is just this, is that we function as a selfish cul-de-sac at times instead of a cross street. You know what a cross street is? It's a place where traffic flows. You know what a cul-de-sac is? It's a place where traffic terminates. And some of us are not functioning as a cross street where traffic can flow through our lives as we show hospitality and connect with people and open our lives up. But in actuality, we're just functioning as a cul-de-sac where those relationships terminate with our people. 
And listen, I, I want you to understand something. There, there is a physical force of gravity. Many of you know that because you went to science class in, in middle school and high school. There's a physical force of gravity that, holds ev- that pulls everything down toward the center of the earth. It just, it, 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 it's what keeps, it's why I'm not levitating here this morning and why your chairs are still sitting on the floor. It's a physical force of gravity. But there is also a psychological and spiritual force of gravity in our lives. That, and what it does is it pulls everything in our lives toward the center of self. So everything in our lives gets interpreted through how will this benefit me? And whenever we become cul-de-sacs as opposed to cross streets, that, that psychological and that spiritual force of gravity is just pulling inward on us. And the only people that we're thinking about are the people who look us in the mirror every morning as we're getting ready for work. All these are barriers to the kind of hospitality that Peter commands us to show. So what's, it, what's at stake here? What's at stake? Why is this so important? A couple of things are at stake. The first one is this. It's the mission of the church. It's the mission of the church. Is at stake. We're commanded to make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. Now some of us think we're making disciples because we have the same people over for dinner every weeknight. Over and over and over and over again. And we might have deep relationships with them. And there might be some accountability that's taking place there. And we might be reading the scriptures together and praying for each other. But listen, the mission of the church is not to just gather your five closest buddies and hang out together for the rest of your life. The mission of the church is to make disciples. And if you're not welcoming constantly, welcoming new people into your life and releasing, quote unquote, your people to welcome new people into theirs, to make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples, then the mission of the church gets short-circuited because we, if we're an inhospitable people because there's no longer a seat at the table for anyone. So the mission of the church gets short-circuited and the unity of the church begins to splinter. Listen, for those who just kind of remain on the fringes of the church and they don't receive others into their lives, if you remain on the fringes of the church, it's kind of like a nail being driven through a board. If you drive it right through the center, it's able to bind stuff together, isn't it? But if you drive a nail through the edge of a board and just barely clip the edge, what happens? It causes it to split It causes it to splinter. And you're left with a little shrapnel. And for those who don't receive others into their life, they don't welcome others into their life, they're doing two things. They're short-circuiting the mission of the church and they're helping to split and splinter the church as opposed to being glue that would bond it together and unify it. So how do we go about doing this? I'm gonna give you several suggestions as as we close this morning. Several suggestions about how to practice what I would call intentional hospitality. Intentional hospitality. The first one is this. Don't delegate hospitality to a team, but be deliberately hospitable with your time. Like I said before, some of us are trying to delegate it to a team. No, be deliberately hospitable with your time. 
You know what that means, pre-service here at Redeemer? That means you might have to wake up 15 minutes earlier so that you can leave home 15 minutes earlier, so that you can get here 15 minutes earlier, so that you can check your kids in if you have kids 15 minutes earlier, so that instead of walking in the door at 1035, you can be here at 1020 and you can begin to engage people and welcome them into your life and to this fellowship before service ever starts in the mornings. Be deliberately hospitable with your time. If you've got to back up the alarm, 30 minutes. <laughs> if you've got to back it up, 45 minutes. There's a value that gets rooted in your heart because you're saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. And if that means I get up 30 minutes early so I can be to church 20 minutes early so I can receive guests because they get there 20 minutes early because we scheduled start times at 1030. And so I'm showing up and I'm opening up my life to others. Post-service. This means that instead of acting like whenever we say you're dismissed, may you go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of acting like somebody just pulled the fire alarm, right? And you're gonna, you're gonna hightail it out of here that you look across the aisle and you go, you know what? There's a new, there's a new person sitting over there and you hightail it to them. Or you look across the aisle and you see people that you haven't seen or talked to in a while and you walk across the aisle and you shake their hand and you ask legitimately, how are things going? Or you walk across the aisle to someone who's new or, or you haven't seen in some time and you say, hey, you know what? We're going to lunch this afternoon. We'd love to have you come with us. Opening your life up. Showing hospitality in a way that is uncoerced in a way that is consistent. So pre-service, post-service, midweek, you might carve out time outside of your life group. Carve out time to have people over for dinner. Carve out time to have people involved in your regular rhythms and routines of life. Just inviting people to be a part of those with you. See, when was the last time that you opened yourself up in one of your consistent regular habits or, or, or activities or hobbies, you opened that up to somebody else and invited someone that you have not done that with before to come do it with you now? When was the last time that you, opened your, that you welcomed somebody into that? Some of us have consistent routines and regular rhythms of life. We have habits and hobbies that we enjoy together. But some of us only enjoy it with a very closed-knit group of people. When was the last time you opened that up and invited someone who's never been with you to the range? Someone who's never been with you to the lake? Someone who's never been with you to the, I don't know, ladies, the tea room. I don't know what you do. Um, but where, wherever you go and whatever you do, when was the last time that you opened that up to someone else and said, would you come with us? Would you come with us? So you're carving out time some of you think you're too busy to be hospitable. You're not too busy to be hospitable. You're too busy to think of other people, including them in those regular routines and rhythms, those habits and hobbies. Welcome them into your life. Are you part of a life group that's connected here to Redeemer? on Sunday nights, on Tuesday nights, on Thursday nights, that you would create a pathway for people to walk into that, to that house. You'd create a pathway for people to walk into that network of relationships, that you would be a bridge between all these people that you gather with Sunday nights and Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, but a bridge between those people and this person. 
And you would grab them by the arm and you would walk them in and you would introduce them to everyone. You would include them in conversation. Are you functioning as a pathway, a cross street to, to the hospitality of God's people in his church by bringing people in? Welcoming them into your life. And if, we, if listen, if, if each of us in this room this morning were to do that, if each of us in this room this morning were to do that, if we were to go, I'm going to stop delegating that to other people, but I'm going to start being deliberately hospitable with my time. What might it feel like for a guest to walk through these doors on Sunday morning? I'll tell you what it might feel like. You ever been in a place where even though, like, I'm not like the most affectionate kind of dude that just like gives hugs to random strangers. Right? Some, some people, like I've known guys before, pastors before, they're like, man, they're, they're, they shake people's hands, they'll give them a hug as soon as they walk in the door. Some people are just like, whoo, no, that's a little bit like personal space, man, come on. But listen, when people, if, if we were intentionally hospitable as a congregation, when people walk through those doors, it would, they would feel, there would be a sense in the room that would be so thick that you could feel it. It would feel like the whole congregation was giving you a hug and, even when no one had touched you. Even when no one had invaded your personal space, but you would feel the warmth. You would, you would receive that welcome from people. You've been in places like that before. And if each of us were to say, you know what, I'm all in and I'm all his. And that includes what I do about this command to be hospitable. When people walk through those doors, they would receive that and they would feel that. I'm going to close with this. Where do you get the fuel for it? Where do you get the fuel to live that kind of life? Listen, there's, there's, some of you are in, in the room this morning and you're going, man, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I, some of you have been Christians for a very long time. Some of you have been Christians for a very short time. And some of you may not even be believers at all. You may not have ever become convinced of who Jesus was and what he has done. And no matter where you are on that spectrum, what you need to see is that the only fuel for this, because this, is, this isn't just like a general moral principle that gets laid out in the scriptures. Like, go be a nice person. Go invite people over for dinner. But where this is rooted, for every person in the room this morning, you need to see that the hospitality of Christians is rooted in and grows out of the hospitality of their Christ. Let me say that again. The hospitality of Christians is rooted in and grows out of the hospitality of their Christ. See, this theme of hospitality stretches way back into the Old Testament. In fact, in Leviticus 19, the Old Testament people of Israel are told that whenever you have sojourners and strangers wandering among you, that you should treat them as if they were natives, like they were part of your people. That's how you should treat them. You should care for them as if they were part of your people. You should open yourself up to them as if they were a part of your people. And then God goes on to give them the reason why they should do that. He says, for I rescued you out of Egypt. In other words, you should treat these strangers as if they were citizens 
You should treat these sojourners as if they were a part of your family because whenever you were strangers in Egypt, I treated you that way. And I came and I rescued you. That I opened my life up to you to receive you to myself. So that theme stretches all the way back into the Old Testament, but it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There's a story in Luke 14 that Jesus tells a parable. And he says, when you throw a banquet... Or he tells this parable about a man who threw a banquet. And he threw a banquet and he invited all kinds of people from all kinds of places. And they kept coming back and they kept saying, listen, I'm too busy. I just bought a field. I've got to go inspect it. I just got married. I can't come to your banquet. I've had this going on. I can't come. Excuse after excuse after excuse. In other words, I I don't value and I don't set at the highest point in my life the invitation to come and dine with you. And so the master of the banquet he finally comes to a point where he says, you know what? Go out and invite the poor and invite the crippled and invite the lame and invite the beggars and invite the blind and invite the deaf. Invite all of those people who could do nothing to repay me. Nothing to repay me. Invite them to come and sit and dine. And he said, Jesus says at the end of that parable, he says, I'll tell you the truth, those who could not come to the banquet, those who could not come to the feast, they, they will not be received in. In other words, those who thought they were higher than the invitation, they had more to offer than the invitation. And Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees and he's pinning them down on this issue. He says, if you, if you believe that God is obligated to welcome you in, that God is obligated to receive you, then he will not. But if on the other side, if you see that there is nothing that you have to offer to God to repay him for his invitation to come and dine, to come and feast, there's nothing that you have, if you're poor and lame and crippled and blind and a beggar, then God has a place at the table for you. And any who would come, he will not turn away. You see, the hospitality of Christians is rooted in the hospitality of their Christ, that God in Christ has received and welcomed us. So how is it that we can lock our lives up from others? Let's pray together. Father, we come today. We ask, God, that your, the hospitality that you've shown us through the Lord Jesus, that it will become so, so real and so rich in our lives that we've been invited to the table when we have nothing to offer, that we've been received in when we have nothing with which to repay. Father, I pray that that would give us a sense of conviction and clarity, conviction about doing something to receive others as we have been received by you. That we would not delegate that responsibility any longer. That we wouldn't assume it will be done by someone else. That we would trust that you're able to heal us from whatever past or present pain that we've been experiencing, that we would come to a place where we would be matured out of our social engineering, that we would find 
that we would find that we are set free from our own self-absorption and self-centeredness because of the work of Christ in our lives. I pray, Father, that your spirit would produce that kind of a people at Redeemer. The kind who show intentional hospitality. That that their lives are open to others consistently and in a way that is uncoerced. For the sake of your glory and your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.